Amen, amen. Hey, we say thank you again to our choir. Wow. That was beautiful, you guys. Okay, well, happy Easter, everyone. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, uh, welcome to our Easter service, our 7.30, all you early risers to our Easter service here at New Hope Community Church, where we are a gospel-centered Bible-preaching, Bible-believing, relationship-harvesting church that we're passionate about loving Jesus, discipling people, and serving the community. And, um, you know, as we talked about or as we heard about this divine exchange, that there is a, um, a spiritual transaction that happened where we give before the cross our junk, our regrets, our mistakes, we lay them at the cross, and in turn, we receive the righteousness of God. And this morning, I want to talk to us about divine grace. Tell your neighbor, divine grace. Divine grace. It's a grace, something that we don't deserve, that is uh, divine, that comes from God. And may I just submit to you guys this morning that you know, oftentimes, there's a, there's a big discrepancy from what we believe and how we actually live our life, right? Um, you know, if there's one consistent accusation about why people have a problem with Christians is that pe- Christians are known to be hypocrites, right? Where we say one thing but live in a different way. I think Mohammed Gandhi echoed, uh, echoed a lot of people's feelings towards Christians when he said, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike Christ. Ouch, right? And um, I think a, a big reason for that is, uh, you know, Craig Rochelle wrote a, a book uh, a couple years ago. It was called Christian Atheist. Ooh, right? How provocative. A Christian who's an atheist. And basically, the premise of the book is this, you guys, that we believe in God but we live in such a way that he doesn't exist. In other words, it's almost like an oxymoron, right? That it's a figure of speech in which two opposite ideas are joined together to create an effect. What's an example of oxymoron? Um, Jumbo shrimp. Can you have jumbo and shrimp at the same time? No, right? Because shrimp is small and jumbo is big. Um, Another oxymoron would be, hey, hey, shh act naturally. You're acting, but you're supposed to be natural. Can you act naturally? No, it's an oxymoron. Or here, here, there's this big open secret. If it's open, it's not a secret anymore, right? Or people say, oh, that's seriously funny, right? Oxymoron. Or there's a deafening silence, all right? Um, And because you know, one of our members here, uh, Charles Chase, in the military and all the armed forces, we salute you. But here's an oxymoron, right? Military intelligence. I'm just kidding, all right? <laughs> <laughs> or here's another oxymoron, right? A Filipino who cannot dance. That's me, right? <laughs> or a Filipino that cannot sing. That's me. Like, all Filipinos know how to dance and sing but, or play basketball. I can do neither of those three things. But the thing here is that, you guys, that there is a disparity, more than a disparity or discrepancy, 
there is almost an antithesis between belief and behavior. Between orthodoxy, which is right teaching or right belief, and orthopraxy, or praxy, which is right living. Between faith and lifestyle, between what you believe and how you live. And I think the reason why there is such a discrepancy is because we do not fully understand and live out the grace that is divine, the grace that is from Jesus Christ, this grace, this undeserved, unmerited favor. And so for that, I want to turn to our text this morning. Could we all stand together just in reverence to God's Word? Titus chapter 2. Verses 11 to 12. <clears throat> okay, I'll go ahead and read. You could follow along. You could also open up your notes if you don't have your Bibles. But it will also be up on the screen. It says, for the grace of God, there it is, it has appeared. And that it offers salvation to all people. Verse 12. What does God's grace do? It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we need you, O God. We need to not only understand, not just have a cognitive assent or ascension and agree of your grace, God, but we need to live it out. We need to, with our hearts, with our souls, with our mind, with every fiber of our being, Lord, live out and embrace divine grace. This grace that has appeared, that has saved us, and it teaches us and mentors us how to live. So, Father, I pray that this Easter Sunday, 2019, April 21st, that we would have an encounter, an experience with divine grace that is in you, Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Now, right off the bat, in verse 11, you're going to come across this conjunction, for, right? And the word for there, it means uh, because, because in, verse, in Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, uh, Paul says like, man, every age group, every gender, male or female, young and old, we all need to live godly lives, that we all need to be affected and transformed by God's grace. <clears throat> he tells the older man in verse 1 to be self-controlled, worthy of respect, or to live wisely. He tells the older women to honor God and not be slanders and disciple people. He tells the younger women to love their husbands, be pure, and to live wi wisely. And he tells the younger men to also have self-control. And so you guys, in every spectrum of life, we are to be transformed by the grace of God. It's none of this, you know what, hey, you only live once, right? Sow your wild oats. It's none of this parents telling their kids, hey, do what I say, don't do what I do, right? There's not this discrepancy, but we are to be changed and transformed by the grace. And it answers the question, here it is, why we should live godly lives, why we should live in holiness. And why is that? Number one, would you write down in your notes why we should live 
lives of obedience and godliness is this, that divine grace saves you. Divine grace saves you. In verse 11, it says, For the grace of God has appeared, and it offers salvation to all people. Why should we live separate, holy lives before God? Because divine grace has saved us. And the first thing that the grace of God has done is that it has appeared. Okay? Appeared. High five, right? Appear. Now, uh, the word appear there is actually the, the Greek word epiphane, where you get the word epiphane. What does that sound like? Epiphany, okay? That the grace of God has epiphany. What does epiphany mean? Epiphany means that um, it is a sudden striking realization, that it just came on you. Oh, I just had an epiphany. You know, when um, Renee and I, when we first met, she called because she was a classmate with my brother, and they were supposed to go on a field trip together, and they're trying to, we're a starving college students, so they were supposed to carpool. And instead of, uh, my brother wasn't home, we, she called, and then I answered, oh, my brother's home. He goes, oh, is this the better looking, the Dangannon brother? I'm like, yes, it is, right? <laughs> no, she didn't say that. I was like, oh, are you, are you Joel's younger brother? I'm like, yeah. He goes, and we started talking, and we talked for three hours, right? And then after that, we were friends. And it wasn't until this one time we were in, uh, I was youth pastoring in LA. And after worship practice and after youth service, it was a great youth service. Uh, she played piano for us, actually. And she was a guest musician. And then she dropped me off at home. And then she goes, how's it going? I'm like, oh, man, I'm really struggling about my calling. I don't know if I'm just following in my dad's footsteps or if I'm following my older brother's footsteps. And I don't know if I'm called to do this, you know, to be a pastor. And she goes, hey, let me pray for you right now. And here I was, I was a pastor, and she was the one that prayed for me. And after she prayed for me, and I closed the door, I walked to my house, I had an epiphany, like, oh, man, she's the type of girl I could be married to for the rest of my life. Like a sudden realization. Well, the, the grace of God, the first thing it does is that it appeared, it epiphanied. What does that mean? Because remember, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, from Malachi to Matthew, there was 500 years where God did not raise a prophet. They call it the silent years or the intertestamental period. For 500 years, God did not raise a prophet to speak on his behalf. Not until John the Baptist came. And when he saw Jesus, the first voice spoke of God, spoke in 500 years. And what did John the Baptist say when he saw Jesus? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so for 500 years, divine grace appeared that God is not silent. God is not mad. God is not angry that he has come and he has appeared <coughs> to save us. Romans chapter 5 verse 6 says, while we were utterly helpless or while we were still yet sinners, Christ came at just the right time. Not too early, not too late, not too soon, but Christ came at just the right time and died for us as sinners. And it says that God's grace has appeared and it offers salvation. Now, the word salvation is where we get, is the Greek word sozo. It means to save. But the word save there, 
It means like to bring wholeness. That God's grace has appeared and He has come to bring what? Wholeness to our lives. That Jesus just didn't save your soul when you died. Not only did He save you from the penalty of your sin, but He rescued you from eternal separation. But here it is, you guys. But that God's grace, He brings wholeness to your life. He brings wholeness to your body. He brings wholeness to your mind. He brings wholeness to your soul. That God's grace is not just fire insurance. That when you believe Jesus, if the whole purpose of salvation is to get you to heaven, as soon as you, you and I believe, we should have died right away because that's the whole point. No, that's not the whole point. Believing Jesus is not a get out of hell card. Right? It is not fire insurance. It is a wholeness of life that God's grace gives meaning, substance, depth, purpose in our very existence here on earth. You know, this week we're celebrating Holy Week, right? And it started off with what? Palm Sunday. After Palm Sunday, then Jesus goes into Jerusalem. And then it's Maundy Thursday, right? Good Friday, Silent Saturday, and Resurrection Sunday. So for seven days, for one week, during Holy Week, Jesus doesn't just enter into Jerusalem and go straight to the cross. In between these seven days, Jesus confronts corruption. He confronts hypocrisy. He overturns the tables. You turn this house of worship into a den of thieves. He heals the blind. He heals the sick. He washes the disciples' feet. He humbles himself. See, for seven days, the kingdom of God is to bring wholeness to your life and my life. That, that's what salvation is. The, God's grace has appeared out of nowhere at the right time to bring wholeness and purpose to your existence here now. That you are not just here to clock in and to clock out, to earn that paycheck, to pay your rent, to pay your car insurance. That you are meant to do so much more and God has a plan and a purpose for your life. And that is to bring wholeness to your being. That God's kingdom, God loves you so much, he decided to bring his kingdom down here on earth. In other words, the kingdom of God isn't just about a ticket to heaven. It is about a whole life that if you've experienced divine grace, everything changed. Nothing will ever be the same. I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I wish to be. I'm not what I should be. But by the grace of God, I am not who I was. I'm a completely different person because God's grace appeared. Look at Titus chapter 3. In the next chapter, I think Paul elaborates on this a little bit more. He says, <clears throat> at one time, we too were foolish. We were disobedient. We were deceived. We were enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. Look at verse 4. But when the kindness and the love of our Savior appeared, there's the same word again, He saved us, there's the same word again, not because of righteousness, righteous things that we had done, but because of His sheer mercy. If you come to know Jesus, let's rewind the tape a little bit. 
Let's rewind the DVR, right? I think this illustrates what my life was like before Christ, that my life was mar marked by absolute foolishness. That you thought that it was all about you, that you thought it, that money was going to make you happy, that you thought getting your college degree or getting your dream job or your dream house was going to bring fulfillment and contentment in your life, but it left you empty and void and wanting more. That you checked off your accomplishments. I'm like, is that it? That there was a life of disobedience that, that secondly, that we had a religious, not a religious, a rebellious disposition that we had this inclination to sin, that we only had one nature, and that is to sin. And it says we were being deceived, that we thought we were the master of our own destiny, destiny that, hey, I'm the center of the universe. You know, I get to do what I want. I'm the ship of this captain. I get, I'm, the, I'm, the cap and I'm the captain of the ship, and I'm going to do and, and control and navigate my own destiny. So, thirdly, it says, that we were enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures, that we were completely powerless. Remember you came to know before you received Christ, before you came to know Jesus, you tried your hardest, you did your best, you tried to do all the self-help, all the self-will, but nothing changed. You couldn't help yourself whenever sin came knocking at the door. You just opened and was like, okay, I can't help myself. Here I go. Why? Because you only had a sinful nature. When you come to give your life to Christ, everything changes. Divine grace transforms your life. It says, malice, envy, full of hate. Full of hate and unforgiveness. You know, one of my best friends growing up, um, his name was Jigger, okay? And uh, the reason why we came to know each other is because he had to move in with his cousin. Jigger was the oldest of four boys. When the youngest one, there's Jigger, Jeffrey, Justin, and Jason. When Jason was being born, during the delivery process, they went into complications, and the mom went into a coma. Days turned into weeks. Weeks turned into months. The husband could not take it. His Jigger's dad couldn't take it, so he bailed out. As fate would have it, my best friend's mom was in a coma for 22 years until she passed away about six years ago. And uh, I can't tell you the amount of unforgiveness, bitterness, and hatred that he had towards his dad. I think it resurfaced when he was on Facebook and he was befriended by a guy who had the same last name as him. And he's like, oh. And he got a private message. Hey, we have the same dad. I live in Seattle. We have a different family now, but I think you're the other, you're my half-brother from my dad. But so for years he struggled with it. For years he, was, he would have anxiety attacks just thinking about his dad just hating on him. 
But when the kindness and the grace of God appeared, he realized, man, God has forgiven me so much. How can I not extend forgiveness to my dad? So much so, God's grace appeared. The kingdom of God came. Jigger got saved. Jeffrey, all three of the brothers got saved. They're all, they all love the Lord. They're all serving at my brother's church in, in California. And they were just like, man, we need to do something about our dad. So they reached out to him. They, they reached out to him and said, hey, dad, we forgive you because God has forgiven us. God has forgiven me. We forgive you. We want to have a relationship with you. God loves you. God has a plan, has a purpose for your life. Share the gospel to them. You see here how divine grace changes everything from hatred to love, from foolishness to wisdom, from deception to truth. Divine grace changes everything. Look at, uh, let's go back to that text. Titus chapter 3 verse for it says, but when the kindness and the love of God our Savior appeared, and I love that. You know, um, it looks like it was all bad news. It, was all, it looked like it was all dark and there was hopelessness. You know, when I was a kid, WWE, it wasn't even, no, WWF, World Wrestling Federation, where they would stage stuff. You guys are familiar with wrestling, right? And then usually one person would come up and beat him over the head with a chair, and then they would pin him, and the referee would slide down. One, oh no, what's going to happen? Two, yeah, raise up his hand, right? Two, and then for the third one, you think he's limp, three, and he goes, what? Uh-uh, right? No, 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 but no, no. Oh, he's still up, right? Verses 3 to, f verse, Titus 3 says, man, we live like this, foolishness, disobedience, hatred, being deceived, but no, no, no. But when the kindness and, and the love of our God and our Savior appeared, all right? Hear this from my heart. There's these awesome but God statements in the Bible where it seemed like it was hopeless and dark, but God appeared. God intervenes. All right? It's like Sir Mix-a-Lot. I love big butts in the Bible, and I cannot lie, right? Like where it seems like, oh, this is, it's turning worse to worse to worse, but God intervenes. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, right? But God made us alive in Christ Jesus. Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. What you guys have intended for evil, but God turned it, turned it around for good. Psalm 73, verse 26. My heart and strength may fail, but God is the strength of my heart. Romans chapter 5, uh, verse 8. While we're still sinners, but God made us alive. 1 Corinthians 1, 27. All throughout Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, God intervenes. The, this divine intervention, this divine transaction, He interferes the brokenness and the bad news, and He brings in the good news. You know, if God's grace didn't appear to save us from a life of foolishness, deception, and enslavement, then eat, be Drink and be merry, for tomorrow would, will die. You know, one of my favorite quotes about resurrection is by Yaroslav Pelikan. And this is what he says. If Christ is risen, nothing else matters. And if Christ is not risen, 
Nothing else matters. Let me unpack that for you a little bit. Since Christ is risen, nothing else matters. Fear, despair, and hopeless death and hopelessness of death does not matter. Death does not win. God does. Suffering does not matter because the word says there's light momentary affliction is creating in us an eternal weight of glory that suffering ultimately it does not really matter in comparison to eternity with Christ that striving for material possessions and gaining wealth and trying to be rich it does not matter because you can't take that with you to heaven if Christ is not risen nothing else matters but if Christ is not risen nothing else matters meaning you could eat drink be merry we're all just gonna die that we could follow the mantra of all the Millennials what is the mantra of the Millennials YOLO right you only live once anyways do what you want we believe and we live in this age of and this fallacy of annihilationism what does that mean that our, hey, from dust we came, dust we shall return. We don't have a soul. Our bodies are just going to die and our flesh is just going to be annihilated. And we don't have a soul. But guess what? Christ rose from the dead and everything matters because he rose from the dead. Number two, we'll go ahead and close with this, that divine grace mentors you. Divine grace mentors you you not only does divine grace save you but divine grace mentors you and teaches you look at titus chapter 2 verse 12 it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled upright and godly lives in this present age so god's grace is going to teach us three things number one is going to teach us to turn from godless living and sinful pleasure look at Titus 2 12 God's grace it teaches us to say no to what ungodliness and worldly passions now um, I don't know how many of you guys grew up in church but I grew up at a very Pentecostal church all right where they wave the flags and you know sister there's only that one sister that would speak in tongues and you know that's the kind of church I grew up at and so man everything was so spiritual where people would pray for the food oh i pray against the the demonic spirit of the calories right i'm like really are you serious right and and the diabetes i'm like don't eat it then right and the devil will the spiritual the spirit of diabetes won't get into you and everything had to be renounced so oh, i renounced that in the name of jesus i'm like calm the heck down all right and everything was just you know, the word for saying no, I love how the NIV says it. It's the word arneomai, which means renounce or denounce or just say no. In other words, when God's grace saves you, you guys, you have a new nature in Christ. You don't have to renounce it. You just say no to it. Why? Because you have a spiritual nature now. You have a heart for God now. You know, <clears throat> when we moved here <clears throat> in May of 1988, um, 
you know, our family moved here from Philippines and Los Angeles, and we we're just kind of struggling to make it work. And then my dad, a couple months into living here, he received an, an envelope from Publishers Clearinghouse saying he may have won $1 million if he subscribes to these six magazines, right? And we just moved to this country, and we were so gullible. My dad made a testimony to everybody. You don't need to pay my salary because I may have won $1 million, right? <laughs> and he just straight out, like, he made a testimony. He's like, this is how we're going to tithe. We're going to tithe 10%. And he started doing, and his heart was pure, but... You know, and he started, okay, I may have won te- I'm $1 million. I'm like, okay. And then we were waiting. And then he got another one. Oh, oh, maybe the other one did not go through with the mail. I'm like, okay, all right, go for it. So he turned one in again. And then he got one three months later and four months later. And we had like 10 <laughs> magazine subscriptions to Publishers Clearinghouse. You know, you guys... That's just like sin, right? Sin entices you and says, you know what? If you just get your way this time, you will feel better about it. If you just buy this, you feel good about yourself. If you just let go of your anger and let people really know the truth and let them know and let them know have it, then you feel better about yourself. If you just satisfy this craving, then you'll be fulfilled it overpromises and underdelivers sin has this thing where it's a temporary pleasure that you and I feel it's just like that publisher's clearing house at first you're like yeah I'm going to be and then eh, it, it yeah wah, 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 right and so listen you guys when ungodliness and worldly passions when when you are tempted You're like, oh, oh, I must renounce it. It's like, hey, no, just say no to it. You already know where sin leads to. You already know where discontentment leads to. You already know where your anger leads to, right? You already know where your hate and unforgiveness leads to. You might feel good for a moment, but learn to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. And here it is. We'll close with this. Be teachable of God's work. Be teachable of God's work. Look at Titus 2, verse 12. God's grace teaches us to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. God's grace teaches us to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. And what does that mean? It simply means this. If we go to the next slide. That God teaches us inwardly in regards to self. God's grace teaches us to live self-controlled lives. That we're to strive for the fierce fruit of self-control. Right. How many of you guys know it's so much easier? Matthew 7, Jesus says, man, it, don't, don't look at the speck or the grain in your brother's eye. Look at the log where in your own eye right that's what jesus said there was another theologian who also said his name was uh, michael jackson where he said you must look at the man in 
in the mirror, right? Look at the man in the mirror. Start with yourself first, okay? You like that falsetto? All right, cool. God's grace, you guys, it teaches us, he saves us, and he mentors us, he trains us, he teaches us, and it starts first with yourself. He teaches us self-control. Secondly, he teaches us outwardly to live upward, upward lives with our neighbor. And what that simply means is to, have, to default to have gracious dealings with people. God's grace came to save you and teach you to live with your neighbor in uprightness and with grace. Let gracious dealings <clears throat> be what we default to and ground our relationships in. Why should, we, why should we live graciously with one another? Because grace begets grace. And lastly, this, we'll close with this one. Not only inwardly, outwardly, but also upwardly. Not only in regards to self, neighbor, but in regards to God, that God's grace teaches us to walk humbly before your God. Micah chapter 6, verse 8. You know, O oh man, you know what the Lord requires of you. What does the Lord require of us? To seek justice, meaning do what is right. To love mercy. Live graciously with each other. And he says, to walk humbly before your God. What does God require of us? Humility. If you just read your Bible at all, you see that God gives grace and favor and mercies to those who humble before him. James says that God resists, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And humility then is the way that we approach God that God's grace teaches us to be humble. You know, guys, with this Easter Sunday, God, it's about redemption. How God redeems your life. It's about God redeems your past. God redeems your brokenness. God redeems your failure. God redeems your hurts and your mistakes, and he covers it with grace, and he gives you new life. You know, Ravi Zacharias said that Jesus did not come to make bad people good, but to make dead people alive. There's a lot of moral people that are in hell right now. Charles Spurgeon says that morality may keep you out of jail. You could be a good person, go to church, pay your taxes, do all these different things. Morality may keep you out of jail, but it takes the blood of Jesus to keep you from hell. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. When you breathe your last breath here on earth, you have two choices. Either you die for your sins, 
Either you pay for the consequence of refusing the voice of the Holy Spirit, running away from God, turning your back on the Father. Imagine the average life here on this earth is 78 years. 78 years. I don't even, I can't calculate how many minutes and seconds and months and weeks that is, but every moment God is speaking to you. Every moment His grace is reaching out to you. Time to come home. I, the only thing that's, separating us is sin I've taken care of that at the cross come child come daughter come son I'll take it all so that you and I can have relationship and fellowship Jesus wants to make you alive he wants to give you a new heart I can't explain it I was born and raised in church. It wasn't until I was 16 that the Lord just, <gasps> everything came to light. The lights were turned on. The blindfolds were removed. And I saw the, and experienced the grace of God in my life. And this is the most eternal decision that you can make. So this morning, with all heads bowed and eyes closed, if you want to receive Jesus, if you want to believe in His life, that over 2,000 years ago, there, there was a literal man, a Hebrew, whose name was Jesus. He lived on this earth for 33 years. He healed the sick, made the blind eyes open. He lived in perfect obedience so that he could be an acceptable sacrifice for our sin. He died your death, my death at the cross that we deserved, that I deserved. It should have been me up there. It should have been you up there. But God so loved you that He took your place. He became your substitute. He became your propitiation for your sins. But He did not remain dead on Good Friday. He rose on Sunday to prove that death does not win. Sin does not win. Satan does not win. The gates of Hades does not prevail against God. That God wins. And through His resurrection, you and I can have new life. Life eternal. God brings heaven down here on earth. And He saves you. He wants to bring wholeness to your mind. Wholeness to your body. Wholeness to your finances. Wholeness to your marriage. Wholeness to your family. Jesus says, I have come, the thief has come to steal, to kill, and to destroy, but I have come to give life and life to the full. Jesus has an abundant life for you this morning. All you have to do is admit and acknowledge that you're a sinner in need of grace. Believe in the gospel. Believe in the good news of Jesus Christ, His life, death, and resurrection, and receive Him into your life. And as soon as you receive Him, the Bible says that He's going to seal you with His Holy Spirit of promise. That He's going to change your heart. He's going to change your priorities. He's going to change your desires. He's going to change your ambitions. He's going to change your priorities. You cannot do that on your own. God does that for you because you cannot save yourself. It is only God who saves us. He saved us not because of our righteous deeds, but because of His love and mercy. So this morning, if you want to receive Jesus, welcome Him into your life, experience wholeness where you're at. Could you just raise up your hand wherever you're at all over this place? Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. We have two. Yes, yes, yes. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Anybody else? We'll take a couple more moments. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord God. Hallelujah. 
Amen. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Could we all pray this together? Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus. Jesus, come into my life. I believe in you. I believe in what you've done on the cross. I give my life to you. Holy Spirit, come into my life. Change me from the inside out. I want to live for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, hallelujah. Would you welcome those who said yes to the Lord?